0: Case space communism, everyone's favorite leftist Star Trek debacle. I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts who are in alphabetical order. Hi, y'all. I'm Amy.
1: Hi, this is Corey. Hey, it's Rachel.
0: All right. That alphabetical order thing is working. we got that. <laughs> it only
1: works at this point because I remember I'm last, if I'm being honest. like, And I remember that Amy's first. <laughs> yeah.
0: I think the key is that it's a system of any kind, and we are trying it. And that is really the Star Trek way. Are you saying any organizational system will just
2: reinvent alphabetical order?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the first will be last, and the last will be first. Fucking got to mix it up, but you need some line for everyone to fucking stand in, and like tallest to short, whatever. Just pick something. Fucking out. what? A, you know? Oh, Rachel's C got a. <laughs> oh. D is
1: for capitalism. Like D is for capitalism's demise. <laughs> oh no. E is for the end of capitalism.
0: <laughs> I feel like we're about to get to CD's nuts, and I'm going to head that off here because physical media is dead. <laughs> F is um. for
1: Fuck Five O. <laughs> ah.
0: <laughs> A is for A cab. B is for the B and A cab. <laughs> C is for the C and A cab.
3: <laughs> okay, now you put C's with cops and capitalism. I don't like this game anymore. <laughs>
0: unfortunately the alphabet is full of bullshit um so <laughs> that, that being said we will start off with the someone should tweet at us and tell me what rachel named the thing that was better than captain's log because that's a stupid name and it doesn't really apply to anything that being said we're going to talk about stuff we've been watching i am going to start because i have been watching in anticipation of this evening's release of is dune what <laughs> Dennis Dennis Villeneuve. <laughs> <laughs> um yes, uh, I I watched the David Lynch Dune again because that rules and I really How do want it. Uh, it's as incoherent as ever. It starts off with a woman going, oh, I forgot to tell you, a thing that's going to be vital to the movie that I've just explained, it happens 10,000 years in the future, and then ends with a little girl saying, he is the Kwisatz satirak, and then a woman looking spooked by rain. Credits roll. It's insane nonsense. They should have given us the 17-hour David Lynch original cut that he wanted to make that wasn't all voiceover. That being said, I think it's a very difficult thing to make into a movie, and I am to understand even with my attempt to not be a part of it. That this is a part one that he is ambitiously not doing the full he's not, he's uh, see he learned the lesson of David Lynch and said, Fine, I will make a two and a half hour version of the first half of that movie. And so we will not get all the way to he is the quiz at in this version of Dune, but I'm curious about that. But I really just loved the built sets. That movie's all about big hair pieces and fucking wild costumes. They thought they were making goddamn Star Wars. Um, <laughs> they thought they were gonna this is gonna be the thing. They had action figures and shit planned out. Oh, it was good it was beautiful all of those characters everybody's wearing an outfit and that guy's name oh you're living in your own duncan idaho anyway yeah
3: i need to watch that again i haven't watched that in like so long like decades
0: i've uh, never watched it um you know you can find it there's a lot of places to get movies you like i'm not going to tell you how to do it but you get the idea
3: <laughs> yeah
0: R, uh, etc
3: Well, I actually, you know, I've been winding down my watching in anticipation of the IATSE strike and the possibility of cutting off our streaming. So, and also I've been just crazy busy with work, but I have been watching some Voyager recently.
0: Well, as I am aware, and spoiler alert for the rest of the episode, some of the episodes you've been watching recently will come up in the main discussion. So, wink, keep an eye out for that,
3: listeners. yeah.
2: I have been, uh, doing a slow re-listen to Imzadi book one, and, um, you know, there's actually some good
0: parts. How slow? Like, like prom date slow? Earth. Like, like 0.5x. <laughs> I
3: really <laughs> no, no. love your
0: boobs, Deonatory.
2: No, and chapter one contains this really awesome and frank discussion about jealousy within a poly relationship that I had just kind of like heard but not listened to, you know, or vice versa the first sure, time. It's easy
0: to fall into the pillows of Jonathan Frakes' dulcent tones and just lose the content, but go especially on, please.
2: Especially Frakes Anna Troy is, uh, you know, really hypnotic. It's really a fantastic novel, except for all of the the weird bullshit and problematic rapey courting s- situation. It's all fine. <laughs>
1: Sounds wholesome. <laughs>
2: yeah, nothing, nothing we haven't seen in like every romantic movie in the eighties. But it's very much
0: that. Well, except for the cogent discussion of poly jealousy, which does seem like it was not a part of Sixteen Candles or any of that, yeah. really.
2: I just, like, wedged that in right on top of some some pretty uh, problematic uh, get-to-know-you meet-cute situation.
1: Oh, no. It seems like a good way to segue into the book I've been reading, which is <laughs> Too Like the Lightning by Ada Palmer. And if y'all haven't heard of this one yet,
0: scholars just say they're exactly the same.
1: Well, so here's here's where it comes in is it's really fucking problematic in terms of gender, actually. <laughs> People keep saying, like, oh, this book is so good. It challenges all these gender norms. Everybody has just defaulted to using they, them pronouns. But honestly, in context, it kind of reads like a polemic against it. Like, I can't I like that it's ultimately about some kind of crazy sex cult that Runs the world. I don't like (laughs) that there is an intersex character who gets gendered as it. Like repeatedly.
0: Oh, speaking of Star Trek Ooh, failures, that's exactly what wow. yeah, that, yeah, that happens in the flakes episode of this exact topic. And they're like, no, you don't say it, you say they, because like, what? What's wrong with you? How hard? It's not hard!
1: Well, but the thing is, in this culture, everybody is they, them. Like, they don't use gender, they've like abolished gender, or whatever. It's very like, white, cis feminist, you know what I mean? And I will it, it might turn out that Ada Palmer is trans, in which case I will be very confused, because it does not read like a trans person was writing about gender. It's okay. It's kind of entertaining in as much as it's batshit. It sounds like the Planet N B episode in TNG. A little bit. A little bit, yeah. But not quite as... Like, the whole point is that they tried to abolish gender and couldn't basically, is that it's sort of gender essentialist, not in the sense that gender is a thing that you are necessarily, but that it is a thing that you inescapably do. It's hard to explain. So like there are characters that are being gendered, like he or she based entirely independently of their genitals and entirely just sort of on their like personality traits, which then itself is like really weirdly reinforcing to some really weird toxic gender stereotypes. And I can't tell to what extent this woman is in on the joke, if I'm being honest. We'll be right back. The cat sat on the
0: Yeah, maybe she's describing what she thinks is a bad society.
1: Uh, However, I do like the part where a bunch of like 18th century reenactors start a weird sex cult and then run the world in the shadows because it comes out of fucking nowhere. They just drop it on you. All of a sudden you're in a brothel and every single powerful person on the planet is there. And it's like, surprise, they all know each other and they're fucking. So yeah, you know, I I don't know if I can say I would recommend it, but it's been stimulating and unexpected. and Often kind of displeasing ways
0: so not in the way that amy's enjoying his his Mzadi then
1: yeah no also there's like an entire subplot about this MacGuffin kid who can literally like bring anything to life miraculously and they're like trying to decide if like they can assimilate this information that is proof that god is real so like that's also going on in the background it's a real weird book y'all
3: you
0: gotta have a messiah boy otherwise it's not a young adult novel
1: but also like the the mcguffin kid's really not in the story that much either
0: Oh, gosh. So that reminds me of the the next
2: romance novel on my list after the Amzadi trilogy, which will be um, a book
0: that involves Loxana, Troy, and Q. Fuck yeah. The only being who could satisfy her sexual desires was a god.
1: Wonderful. Magnificent. Honestly, I feel like that is the raunchy raunchy sex cult that we deserve to run our (laughs) planet, you know? Loxana, Troy, and Q. There you go.
3: That's the cue we deserve. <laughs> Who would come out on top in Battle of Will between Waxana and Q? I have to think it's Luxana. Yeah, Loxana. no hesitation. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I think Waxana would run that she would, she would
3: break him. I think she would literally break his spirit.
1: Yeah, I think so
3: too. I think she would end up being put in charge of the Q. And...
2: In the body book, Frakes at Loxana's funeral just assumes that the thunderstorm is because she's already running things up there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Good. Also sad. I never want her to die. She lives forever. Loxana Troy is immortal. So she's a Q. Exactly. Yeah. He needs to be a Q. Scientifically determined. Loxana Troy does not die. She ascends.
0: Well, it sounds like we're having some pretty strong feelings, which leads us, that's a segue, folks, directly into our primary topic, which is that this is a show about feelings. I mean, the show, while it is a hard sci-fi show, ostensibly, and deals with some pretty abstract issues, Star Trek is about feelings. I just watched Star Trek 5, and the importance of feelings to, and like, again, I know, it's a weird, bad movie, but it's a great, it's fun script, it's good time, watch the fucking thing, enjoy yourself. They go camping! It's a great, they, like, I mean, it's a bunch of is sitting around a campfire exploring the universe, but that's ultimately what it boils down to, is three guys sitting around a campfire, or just people sitting around a fire hanging around. And I don't know, there is a lot of the way that this works in Trek. Like, Spock is often stymied and dumbfounded by the success of Himbo Kirk crashing in and having feelings about it, and that saving the day. And I think there's a lot to be had there, because Trek explores a lot about how feelings work, what it's like to not have them. Maybe you want them, and are trying to get them. And there's a lot of people that sort of push on that. You got the Vulcan's data, Michael Burnham's being raised in the Vulcan society. You have Odo. You've got the EMH. You've got Seven of Nine. Uh, you got Boimler, who I view as this kind of character because he's simply a product of the algorithms and machines of Starfleet, right? He is just a representation of Starfleet's protocol book and is not a person in the same and is learning to be a person. And that's, this is the story of a lot of Star Trek. Someone else talk.
1: So where does Sparkly fit into this, like, emotionality spectrum? Like, is Lonely its own emotion?
0: Uh, I'd say
2: so.
1: I mean, yeah. I think he's he's consumed by anxiety. I don't know, that's
3: not necessarily an emotion, but...
1: I think it's probably an emotion. It's a pattern of emotion.
3: Yeah, he, he's consumed and defined by his anxiety. He's In a way, he's almost comforted by his anxiety. He feels most himself when he is deep in his anxiousness.
0: So you're saying cowardice is an emotion. That's comforting for me.
2: Well, and I think that has a lot to do with uh, maybe, maybe the premise of emotionality on Star Trek, which is you have to feel it. You have to get through it. You know, it's it's very much that era of, you know, everything must be processed. You know, at least when we're talking about TNG, our Star Trek here, <laughs> you know, TNG DS9 <laughs> Voyager, that sort of thing. Let's face um, it, we're people of a certain age.
3: <laughs> well, like one of the things that I really appreciate about Voyager is so Janeway as a captain and especially in the era that the show was produced like that was a time that I was just getting out of college and entering the workforce and I worked for a lot of you know different I had a lot of different bosses and I at, at that time I kind of I hated working for a woman boss because a lot of women who kind of got into management level at that time like this is over 20 years ago, that they sort of felt like they had to overcorrect and be extra manly to be taken seriously as a leader in the workplace. And so they, uh, you know, a lot of them would just like, like their business books out there, like how to be the boss without being a bitch, <laughs> like things like that. And and, and that was oh, a yeah. real phenomenon. Lean and, in. Oh, yeah. Lean in for sure. Like there's that, it's a real phenomenon. And, and thankfully, it has changed over the course of the time that I've been in the workforce. There's not like, Yeah, a there's lot no
0: more. more girl boss anymore.
3: Well no, girl boss no, it is, is definitely different. a thing. girl is boss different. is not the same. Girl boss is not necessarily the same as like this like hyper assertive, I'm trying to be like a man but with girl parts you know, like th- that we're talking about here. And Janeway was kind of a segue out of that. And she, she was very clear as a leader. She was very decisive as a leader. She wasn't afraid to be decisive. She wasn't afraid to take a, like a particular decision, even if everybody else was arguing and challenging her. But she consistently receives feedback and acts on that feedback. And there's a lot of interaction in particular between Janeway and Seven where you can see, and, and this is where you just see Kate Mulgrew is just such a brilliant actress. I mean, she, you can just, see like a particular point will hit her in a really hard way. I'm thinking it specifically of an episode where there was a an incident with the doctor where 18 months prior he had performed a life-saving surgery on Harry Kim and it was a triage situation. He had to pick who he was going to save, either Harry or some other crew member because they were both in equally bad Someone condition. not above the line. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Someone that he wasn't close to, um, somebody he didn't consider a friend and he... <laughs> kind of started to spiral and come unravel thinking that like he made the choice because he chose to save his friend as opposed to did he make the wrong choice and, and like sacrifice somebody else's life because he wasn't as emotionally close to that person. And so they ended up like Janeway had made the call to basically erase those memories from his program and kind of remove that. And he discovered evidence of it and and it start the whole thing and, and replay again. And at this point, Seven had joined the crew and she came forward and advocated for the doctor. And like, you know, Janeway was very firm she's like, look, I made this call. He is coming unraveled. It, it almost destroyed his program. We can't afford to lose the doctor, so I'm going to do it again. And Seven was like, do you respect him as a as a, an individual? Didn't you
0: see famous Adam Sandler movie, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which addressed exactly this issue, Janeway? Oh, of course not. You don't have a database of all culture like me and the Borg. But Anyway, here's how the movie goes. No, but
3: like it... Right. But wait,
0: like, you must process this trauma. Well, it you wasn't cannot Adam just... Sandler.
3: That was Jim Carrey, but yes.
0: Shit. Whichever. They're all... <laughs> <laughs> Same guy from my childhood.
3: It, it Would have been a very very different movie with uh with Adam Sandler instead of Jane, Jim Carrey. But anyway, no. So Seven steps up and, and advocate, and there's like there's a particular exchange between Janeway and Seven, and it, like you can just see it register on her face, and she like really internalizes in and thinks about his personhood, and like the Doctor's just a hot hot mess through this entire episode. He is just an emotional spiral for a computer program. He has a lot of feelings, <laughs> and he does explore them a bunch in this particular episode so no i that's what i really appreciate about janeway as a leader is that she she does really like engage with her her emotions and she's not afraid of them um she doesn't lead from an emotional space but she makes that part of her her decision making process and her leadership style and i appreciate that about her i think that's something that picard could have done with a bit more of
0: this is one of the things that makes janeway more like kirk
3: more like kirk oh yeah i agree
0: and I think that's something they do with a little bit in Picard. Like they address his emotional stuntedness in a lot of, in at least some context, right? Like several characters just sort of haul off and give him the business over his like sort of unwillingness to actually uh, process feelings and deal with emotions and just like run as, you know, the, I mean, as Grav accused him of, the weird academic captain. Just, oh, you buy the book, weirdo. All right. Well, that's not, that's not necessarily what we want on the front line. That's, you know, like in Star Trek five i know these ships fucked. I need you, James Kirk the guy who punched V'ger in the face, I don't know, like, right, I, I, it is a specific thing that they are hoping to achieve by sending these weirdos out into space, and it is not complete adherence to procedure. It is, it is in fact, to meet and have feelings with these entities, whoever and wherever they, however much Nazi or cowboy or mobster they may be.
3: Yeah, I think Cisco also kind of falls into this category because he is another one who's very clear minded, very decisive, but he does take in feedback. He does definitely get emotional
0: a lot he gets angry more than any other captain i think like he gets screaming that made us be avery brooks liking to chew the scenery a little bit which god bless him he's so good at yeah. It. but yeah he definitely yells more well, than he's any got a lot to be captain. mad
3: about i mean you know his girlfriend was yeah
0: a key. i ain't even try to like say it's unjustified but of the captains we have he's the yelliest it's true right like and, you know i'm mad, not mad at him for being yelly per se but like yeah he is the most emotive yeah. and like the least restrained of a lot of the captains we see in the trek world and sort of the people that we deal with in this world
1: There's this concept in DBT, which is called dialectical behavioral therapy, that there's this like state of wise mind. And the only way to reach wise mind is to sort of mindfully balance your emotional impulses and sort of the emotional feedback you get from a situation with your rational, critical mind. And you sort of have to weigh them and come to this sustainable place for yourself, in terms of like your values, your ethics, and you know, when you're making decisions on how to behave, wisdom is sort of weighing all of these things and choosing carefully. And I feel like Cisco actually is a very good sort of personification of that strategy. Like he's definitely very in touch with his feelings, but I would never have gotten the vibe like those feelings made him less effective. And if anything, I think they made him more effective.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Would, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying this to yeah, accuse him of, of being driven by them or even like, uh, but like, yeah, he yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm like, just oh, complimenting
1: am, the character. Honestly. Why am
0: I mad about this thing? Oh, it's because it's wrong, so I should not do it yeah. or tell someone to stop doing it. It's pretty good. It sometimes that helps.
1: Himbo Kirk only knows one emotion, and it's fuck.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's all he needs. Well,
2: and it's ironic that so many um, facts don't care about your feelings. People are Star Trek fans because. You know, Star Trek is a, is a place where clearly feelings are factual, that you have them as a fact you have to cope with.
1: God, feelings are factual Is Can we pull over and talk about how fucking important that statement is, though? I feel like so many people live their lives in this weird liminal space where they pretend that they aren't having feelings and therefore aren't biased by them. And there is nothing more exhausting than the, like, affected equanimity of just some wasp pretending they're not being bitchy because they're mad at you. Anyway.
0: Nothing? (laughs) Nothing at all. On with the podcast.
1: Admit you have feelings. But the thing the thing is about those facts don't care about
3: your feelings people they absolutely have feelings they are burying the shit
1: out of them
0: I'm sorry no I've mistaken my my lack of perspective for objectivity that's what's happened totally taken my there, lack yeah
1: The thing is like I don't think anybody on the outside looking in would say yep, yeah, that's a person that's not feeling feelings you know what I mean like when
3: I when I say that they're burying them, I'm saying I mean for themselves, for their own awareness of their feelings. Yeah. deeply. You know, that in they're denial. not. Yeah, it's it's very evident and apparent to everyone else externally viewing the situation at the
0: school board meeting that they're <laughs> screaming that yeah. they're all yeah. very aware yes. this person has feelings.
3: Yes. Right. Yeah. It's uh, so, and that's what's interesting about that is that if you look at the characters on each of the series that are are kind of established as well. I, how do you describe them, Paul? The the, the, the let's autistic t- coded ones.
0: The ones that attract me to the show and let me enjoy it because, like, I also would like to learn lessons about what it's like to be a person. Please help me. No, I, I don't know. Right. I
3: think- so, so the data, the EMH, the yeah. you know seven Odo. Like one of these things is not like the other characters in each of the series. Uh, to Paul. Or the enterprise. let's
0: teach them what about humanness. It's our like sort of here's your sounding board right. or here's to express the value, to put it in a positive sense. It is the character against whom that they are then able to push and resent and sound the values of humanity in this sort of feelings-oriented right. way without, and like get pushed back on it because everyone else is like, hell yeah. and Dorian's like, hell yeah, feelings. I feel them all the time out in the tips of my weird little antenna. Let's fight. And that makes <laughs> sense. Um. <laughs> but,
3: but those characters, all of them are highly emotive and you know there's a lot of storylines that are built around their exploration of Their, I mean like how much space was given to Odo's emotional conflicts of how he felt about his relationship with the scientist that effectively raised him in the lab or you know obviously his complicated feelings. feelings
0: about working as the cop and the fascists right
3: yeah uh, that and also his feelings for Kira and how those evolved and his like weird little like love hate romance with quark and even his complicated relationship about his his uh feelings about missing home but also really hating what the people that what his people had done and so like for the the character that is the stereotypical like grump (laughs) who is uh you know not like everybody else he definitely has i think more feelings than almost anybody else in deep space nine possible exception jedzia
0: Well, that's very difficult to actually have that character be worth watching because, I mean, even Data, who I think Brent Spiner did a very good job of playing as flat and sort of in that way as possible, still had big uh, sort of, there's an episode of Futurama where Bender says, As a robot, I can't feel emotions, and that makes me very sad kind of shit, where you're like, all right, and Data kind of has that too, where you're like, no, you're doing, you're being pensive about not being able to feel feelings. That's your feeling of That's a You're doing it. It's just a little, but you're doing it.
1: I kind of think that's a failure of writing, honestly. I think it's that they literally could not envision a truly emotionless consciousness. Right. Well,
2: I think this is one of the things where just like some writers just said, no, I'm doing it my
0: way. Sorry.
1: Well, I think yeah. there are no,
0: I think even, let's back up, there are no truly emotionless consciousnesses in Star Trek. Like, the Vulcans, our prime example, are a repressive society, right? Yes. Star Trek Five. brother is walking around, give me your pain. That's weird, but also he's, he's like, oh, no, I'm feeling my feelings. We're doing feelings over here, and, like, we're going to go fight God in the fucking weird zone. And they mm-hmm. do, and it's a good time. But uh, that, that speaks to sort of, that is the Vulcan activity, is the wasp sort of, uh, oh, no, we yes. don't, I'm not mad. I'm just, I think it's illogical what you're doing. Like, Which hmm. is so
1: funny given that they are otherwise Jewish coded.
0: So you think Sarah should be laying more guilt on Spock I and think Burnham? Jewish and...
1: people talk about our goddamned feelings, alright? That's what I think. I
0: believe this show is proof of at least some we of that. We
1: communicate openly. I have to tell people, like, when they're coming to dinner, like, no, the yelling is affectionate. It's just, it's certain cultures that are not Anglo-Saxon in descent. They're not specifically, perhaps Protestant in descent.
0: No, bring back Wasp as an insult. We should be fucking doing it. It's like fucking make it turf grade for getting me banned from Facebook is if I start calling people Wasps again. I want
1: to bring it back. That would be
0: fucking, that'd be metal. It's the last good slur you've had for, like again, we've lost a weird genre of jokes that are just sort of targeted but ended up being written about nationalities. I think
1: those kind of got ironed out in the mass white assimilation that just sort of has happened in the last couple of decades. I mean, it's happened always, right? But like in the most recent round, of like intense assimilation. You know, they've just been grabbing ecru coded nationalities and saying, Yeah, it's close enough to white, come on in. You can join the party so long as you help us exploit the global south. (laughs) Like
2: And I I mean I see this in, you know, my experience of America versus my father's, you know. Like Every story about him growing up starts with a detailed description of the ethnicities of all of his friends who were all white. <laughs>
1: yeah, you know, and I think in a weird way that might have been better. Not like in terms of the like 1960s era racism, obviously, but I think sort of authentically confronting the prejudices that they certainly had about each other's respective, you know, nationalities or whatever. And like, I think that actually might have been healthier than just pretending it doesn't exist. Oh God, oh no, I'm agreeing with the weird book I mentioned.
0: Okay, because I- I was just thinking that it was funny that they did this in a time like almost all of this man's stories happen during segregation so like
1: yeah, yeah yeah
0: me and all of my friends whom because of the way the world currently is around us and has been our entire life you should know the ethnicity of anyway the story takes place at the country club where they don't allow certain people you know who i mean
1: yeah yeah at least then it was like authentic like, I don't feel like, and to be clear, I don't think that we are better off. I don't think racism is like worse now than it was in the 60s. You
0: don't want to go back to before women could have credit well, cards I mean, and I also shit. I don't want
1: to go back to when they were just like lynching black people, right? I think that these are bad things. I say this like it's not still happening, but you know, don't like, clip openly. this. We can't be
0: afford to be associated with such radical
1: opinions. God, I, yeah, sorry, y'all. Racism lynch-ing is bad. still extremely fucked. That's my point. We still have a lot of serious problems with racism, but I think in terms of like everyday engagement with their own racism, I think that was better. Like, just, just admitting that you're a fucking bigot, and like, yeah, I think, you know, Italians are loud and stupid, or whatever. Like, I, I think that in some ways was more honest and easier to work with. Because, like, when people are completely denying that, like, they see color, or, like, completely, you know, denying that, like, there are distinct textures between, like, white supremacy and racism and anti-blackness, and that these things all highly interrelate, but, like, manifest in slightly different ways. Like, those kinds of conversations are completely elided by this sort of modern liberal approach to solving the racism problem. Qua like representation almost like
0: just want to hop in and say real quick that this podcast does not recognize the existence of Italy, only the um, People's yeah. Republic of Vatican City. That being said, uh, let's get back sort of into topic land, which was feelings. But again, because you were expressing them beautifully. No, I, mean, but- I think
1: it ties in. I think this is a good segue back, right? Like, I think those kinds of reflexive emotional reactions to people that constitute prejudice and bigotry are themselves feelings. And I think admitting that those are feelings is actually really useful because then you can say, oh, this is just a feeling I was trained to have. I can push through this and behave differently. And that's better, actually.
0: Well, because so much of that rhetoric is is ultimately if you confront the fear that, okay, the the argument ultimately of, oh, well, there is limited anything. So us or them, not enough for boys, so them. And then, well, that's not true, right? Like, then by expressing that feeling, you get to then be told, oh, well, that's not even, like, a little bit of problem. Yeah, you shouldn't okay. be concerned. Like, that's, like, objectively just not a measurable issue you're mm-hmm. afraid of. And they're like, oh, well, now I, now I have to either refigure yeah. or leave further into the thing I said I believed a minute
3: ago
1: yeah although to be fair I'm not sure that we've actually stopped openly saying these things I think we might have just changed the codes that we use yeah we
3: oh, constantly sure. change the codes
1: and it's kind of like you know the the sort of shift from like Negro to black to urban. <laughs> to ghetto like you know to, to really that
0: list is not in order
1: <laughs> i think i switched ghetto and urban anyway the point yeah, is, yeah i that think like those the, are the switch,
0: but yeah it doesn't matter yeah,
1: yeah like the the point i'm making here is you know these like these sort of euphemisms for our own bigotry are definitely still around but i don't know are, are we more or less or the same acknowledging that they're euphemisms when we use them now like is blue lives matter like
0: No, most of those people don't think they're racist. I mean, like, I I don't know most of, but I think there is a big ability to believe, yeah, that like, no, no, because the outward face of it has to be, well, we believe in first responders, but it's like, you you don't.
1: But I think like comparing like Blue Lives Matter, and frankly, I'm going to compare them to the KKK because I think they serve the same sort of social position. Is Blue Lives Matter like a less honest approach than the KKK was? And oh, like, absolutely. To what extent does that hinder progress now, I think is sort of the question I want to ask.
3: Well, I mean, it, it allows them to lie to themselves is really what it is. It's, yeah. it's, it's transparent to people on the outside that are looking at both of those phenomena and saying like, yeah, those two are stripes of different colors, yeah. but the same same basic thing. I mean, like the, you talk about like race, people who think they are, they're racist or not racist. I mean, the people who actively join in with movements as extreme as the KKK, like they are going straight and saying like, yeah, I am a racist. I think that this race is better than that race. And that's my ideology. Well, they're
0: saying I'm defending my group from degeneracy or bad conduct in some way. Yes. Yeah,
3: but, but I'm, yeah. I'm framing it way well to make my point. And the, the, the thing is, most people who are racist do not genuinely do not think that they are racist they think to themselves i'm just a person who's telling it like it is i'm just saying what's true so they're speaking what they believe in their heart to be the truth but they don't recognize it as racism or white supremacy whereas the kkk and groups like that like they acknowledge like yeah i'm i am here to advance the superiority of people who look like me yeah
2: This brings me to, like, my other big problem with, uh, sort of the ideology that rationality has to exclude emotion, is is how much projection you end up engaging in. People that are trying to eliminate whatever disenfranchised group you want to talk about are in turn the most paranoid about being eliminated as a group. Yeah. You know, why um, is
1: that? You know, like
2: TERFs are the most nervous about assaults happening in women's bathrooms as they exclude some of the people that are most likely to be assaulted elsewhere.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's like symbolic, right, of their weird attachment to the womb. And the bathroom is a womb where you're supposed to be safe. Your womb oh, is invaded. <laughs> As a person who has
3: a uterus, frankly, I could do without it. So, <laughs> yeah, I've, I will trade you. <laughs> I, you know, I would gladly give it to you if I could.
0: <laughs> it's Same. me, Captain Freud, here on the USS Body Swap. Um. <laughs> no.
1: But yeah, but I I think that's I think you're onto something there, right? Because like they have this very intense fear, and I don't actually think it's about rape, because rape happens no. to all of us all of the time. Yeah,
3: yeah. They don't need to go in
0: the goddamn bathroom, thank you very much. Yeah. There's yeah. very little about yeah. the bathroom that involves like that's not where it happens, and if it was, that's not what's doing the thing. Yeah, I it's not will shit
1: it. in a stall next to literally anybody. I don't care. I'm shitting. Like, that's why it
0: has a lock on the door of the stall too. Like I care. I, I care. Boys are gross. I'm sorry.
1: I don't know. I've seen some horrifying women's bathrooms, too. When forced, I will
2: use the men's at work because there's Uh only two and they're single use. But the smell in there is different and less tolerable. (laughs)
3: In the men's room, oh, yeah. yeah, I can, I can imagine. I've
1: been in a couple men's, of men's rooms, rooms too. you have that kind of stale piss smell usually?
0: It's the urinal, you know. I want yeah. to tell you, anytime there's a, a a line of urinals anywhere in the world, it doesn't matter what place it's in. It could be in the New York Public Library, It could be Yankee Stadium, it could be Atlanta, it could be any like yeah, from the highest to the low, from the White House to the outhouse. Well, the outhouse is the urinals. You get the idea. There is just a just a line of dribbled piss from the titans yeah. of industry <laughs> and the great like the fucking biggest decision makers in the world are dribbling pee on the fucking floor in a line to get, and there's just like a fucking, and you're like, fellas, you got a short Walking pet, out you got-
1: without washing their hands. We see you.
0: It's just, know that about every hall of power you ever walk into. Everywhere that you feel a little intimidated by. Little dribbled Their urinals piss. also have a lot of dribbled pee right in front of them. And that is why they smell like the stale piss so often. Um, <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah, that's why you try and smoke
0: in them, as the song says. But yeah. oh, let's move forward. But yeah, no, I mean, ultimately, these fears are they, these are fears. They are not actually borne out in evidence in terms of exactly. like what is a harm prevention for the thing you say you're scared of. It's just that you're scared, and like I mean, ultimately, it's fascism, right? It's like, oh, yeah. I'm yeah. I'm scared of this group, so I have to preemptively retaliate against them. They're scared because they can find it within themselves
2: to do that kind of exterminating behavior. Yes.
1: Exactly. It is and exactly now they're
2: afraid that. that someone else has it within themselves. What if someone well? else
0: thought of punching my brain stem through with a 50-cal?
1: yeah yeah and i think if they really looked inwards like and this is not just for terps or for racists or for like any particular asshole this includes me frankly right like this this was me in my 20s figuring out how to cut the mean girl shit right like there are people i find intimidating and when people find somebody else intimidating there's a lot of different reasons right like you can find a person intimidating just because they're cooler than you because they're getting more attention than you because they're taller than you like who gives a shit there are a million different reasons but when you find somebody intimidating, sometimes they're in
0: every way superior to you. And yet
1: yeah so like there's I think kind of broadly two reactions when we are faced with that sort of I don't know shrinking of our own existential worth or whatever some people get excited and think like oh you're cool as hell right and some people get defensive and I think it kind of boils down to that right like if we all spent more time looking inwards and sort of acknowledging what we're being defensive and acknowledge that that's like a feeling that that's a way that we are trying to cope with like downwards comparisons towards ourselves that like we can recognize like oh it's okay that I'm like an asshole sometimes that's normal or like it's okay that I'm like I talk too much I have ADHD right like you can forgive yourself for these things and work through them but only if you acknowledge them only if you know that's what you're doing but I also wonder to like what extent on the other side sort of bringing back to Amy's does that also have a way of reinvesting and reinforcing itself you know like can you do the sort of you know, self-inventory and end up digging yourself deeper into denial.
2: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Let me tell you about my mid-20s, where I almost transitioned and decided not to. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you can do all of that shit. You can read fucking Kate Bornstein's autobiography. You can talk to your girlfriend about it and explain that, you know what, like, I've thought it over, I've considered it, and it's just too late. Like, I have two masculine features. There's no way it would ever work. And have them agree with you. Oof.
0: That's a weird moment to be like supportive or not, though, because it sounds like you were playing this as having made the decision. Right. At which point you can't be like, "You're you're as the partner, you're like, no, no, go for it. You've decided." But like, let me push you the other way is a very weird place to be with a very personal decision.
3: Well, and also in your mid twenties, you're still a whole lot that you're trying to figure out about yourself and and the world yeah. as well. Like, I think about my rationale and my decision making process when I was twenty five versus thirty five versus now. I'm almost forty five. It's uh, It's very, very different.
2: Yeah, like now most of the friends I have would be like, yeah, that's some denial bullshit. You should reconsider that, Mm -hmm. you know? But like most of my friends back then didn't understand that.
3: But another reason why is because we've come a lot farther in terms of like normalizing, confronting that kind of denialism and that those emotions in our public discourse. That has a lot to do with it, too, because 10 years yeah. ago, that wasn't the case. Rachel, there's a what you were describing about, you know, people kind of projecting their emotions or or feeling like about being replaced. It reminded me of a specific TNG episode. I mean, so TNG obviously is, of all the series, I think it's the one that centers feelings the most because Deanna Troy is such a central figure. And, you know, there's 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 a lot of like discussion about incorporating your feelings into the decision making process as an essential component. But there's that episode of TNG where she temporarily like they're they're near a spatial anomaly of some kind and it impairs her ability to engage in her like she can't read people's emotions. Her
0: mind powers! They're turned off!
3: Yeah. It's like she temporarily loses that and, and she just instantly turns into like a turbo bitch. Like she just starts lashing out at everybody. She like yells at Beverly Crusher. She like chews out Riker and she just becomes incredibly aggressive and hostile before actually I think it's Riker that that confronts her about why she's feeling that way. And he he straight up confronts her and says like, yeah, you've always felt like you were a little bit better than us because you could read our motions and we couldn't. And now you've lost that and you feel lessened by it.
0: Like normally as your boyfriend, you're acting crazy would be a thing i wouldn't say but as your commanding officer six people have come up to me and said something so <laughs>
3: right. Like- right no but i thought that was a particularly poignant example of her just projecting uh, lashing out and being defensive because she felt like she was being i don't know like her her something central to her identity was being overtaken or replaced by somebody else's ascendance
2: Another example of that central theme, denying your emotions causes problems for yourself and everyone else,
0: you know? Damn, good on Star Trek for helping us get here, you know? Well, and also the issue of it is not often you have the opportunity to show someone rapidly losing their sense of empathy and connection to other people's emotions, because it's so rare that we have that sort of as a thing that's expressed often. But like, oh, hey, by the way, now you have no insight into what other people are thinking. Like, oh, shit, I used to really like be able to trust. I didn't have to trust you. I knew what you were thinking. Now I have to trust you in every every engagement now and every interaction. And I have no idea how to do that because I always knew you were my friend because I because, yeah, I could tell I could.
1: Physically I feel could, it. Yeah. yeah, I think it also kind of, it sort of is an interesting exploration, and I'm kind of iterating on what y'all were saying here, into the need for the other to authenticate yourself, to understand that you are, you have to have an other to are against, right?
0: And just as far as, hey, you're seeing this shit too, right? And they're like, yeah, it's bad. But, or like, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like, in sort of the fundamental necessity of somebody else talking you through your irrational feelings when you're being irrational. You know, like you need to have language and the other to even begin to articulate these things. I think part of it might be, and when I say it, I mean the sort of wasp and Hedonia. I think part of that very well could be because they don't talk about this shit. Because it so taboo to talk about it.
0: Well, if you don't talk about it, they don't exist. They only exist if you describe them with words right. that I don't have and people that describe them with words at or with. But yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. But is, is it like, like chicken or egg, right? Like to what extent are they not talking about their feelings because they don't know how to talk about their feelings? So they assume you shouldn't talk about your feelings because they don't know how to talk about their feelings in the context to acknowledge that not talking about their feelings feels bad. Well, it's
3: because it hasn't been normalized. Yeah.
0: This is the vital work the Fast and the Furious franchise is doing for men across America. I know, like, but honestly, right? No, like right. the action hero right. of this century's movies is absolutely like a guy who's like, No, no, I care about these people. That's why I'm risking my fucking life. Charles yeah. Bronson, they're all dead and I hate this town. All right. Yeah. But like that's fine and I like, and all, but it's not the same kind of character, right?
3: Both of your points are like a perfect transition to the point that I wanted to make, which is that we've talked about this a little bit before on the show about how how much we love the fact that there are ship's counselors and that that is a normal part of disorder of operations. That that's recognized as a need, and that people will be pulled aside and say, "Hey, listen, you're you're obviously going through some some tough time right now. Why don't you just take a few days off?" You know.
0: Hey, I get it. We're all stuck in a box, hurtling take through some down space,
3: time. right? And
0: that challenging.
3: It actually made me think about, so, you know, there's there's ships counselors on every ship except Voyager. I don't know if the ship's counselor actually died or if there just wasn't one assigned to Voyager, but there's ships counselors on on, on all the, the starships for the most part. And we don't really see them much on DS9, but we know they exist because they're referenced in a couple of episodes. But it reminds me of like when I was working in war zones in Iraq and Afghanistan on project, they called them employee assistance, EAP, employee assistance program. But they, ha- they were counselors licensed counselors on site on base that um were in in the war zone with us and they were available for anyone to go to as often as they needed for as much as they wanted to just talk about what was going on and it was it was a resource that was always available to us not many people took advantage of it i did at one point there was just like a one one day i just was was struggling with something and I just made an appointment and I went in and talked to the guy and he told me like he, he looked at like how long I had been on on the job. And he said, you know, actually, a lot of people that come in, they start to struggle about the time, m- amount of time that you've been here. And so this is a very normal reaction that you're having. And just hearing that and just having like a person who was qualified to speak to in that moment just made a world of difference to me. And I became like a very vocal advocate from that point forward. Like I would talk about it in my training classes because I traveled all over the country and like did training courses for people. And I would talk about this as a resource and there's no shame in it. And we all need this support and you should go take advantage of it. And I've consistently pushed people to to give it a try. And I just really think like, I mean, even I don't know if anybody watches the show Billions I know it's a it's a terrible it's an indulgence of mine it's a guilty pleasure Look, but anyway you can watch
0: whatever fucking soap opera you want to watch that's not right. our business what well, is our business yeah. because we talk about it but yeah right, no right right
3: right no but there's you know there's that their character in in this like fucking hedge fund has an in-house counselor you know and those people would definitely use emotional adjustment I mean I honestly think every job should have in-house counseling available like how much better off honestly, would we be if that was just like a normal thing
1: It is wild to me that the U.S. military has better, like, emotional support structure than the Democratic Socialists of America
0: well yeah because they know they've been like shell shock is like a demonstrable issue for operational readiness for like since we've been shooting shells and they're like no you gotta give them someone to talk to someone to sit around and be Uh like hey it's been nine months in a war zone that's gonna have a serious deleterious effect on your brain because that sucks so you're probably crying a little it's okay bud and a hug and that is like so stupid to like that's it's so simple and basic but as Corey said apparently yeah people weren't using it because you don't want to i don't know well
3: it's one it's a stigma two like people didn't really understand the nature of the resource that was available and i will reiterate the fact that this was a resource that was available to us while we were employed and in the war zone but once we left that job that resource was no longer an option for us and we're just some other schmuck that's you know like looking for a job somewhere but carrying all the same ptsd and you know trauma that comes from working in a war zone for 10 years, like, you know, whereas at least at least veterans have the option of being able to use resources available through the VA, which thank God they do. They have that resource available to them. It needs to be better. We need to make it we need to fund it more. We need to expand those services and make them more readily accessible to people, especially in rural areas. But like that is at least something that has been recognized by the military as something that people who served should continue to have access to even if they're no longer serving. Yeah, that would be nice if we could extend that to the rest of the working population yes society, yeah. needs, society
1: needs them to be rehabilitated after being destroyed by war like well, yes exactly because otherwise we have a bunch of killers running around who are like more likely to end themselves and in any case are hurting people
3: but like, I remember when I was in, in elementary school, having a school counselor was a normal thing. And I only became aware of the fact that kind of recently in the last few years, it, it, I just learned that that hasn't been the case for a long time, that very few schools have even one counselor to share among multiple schools. And that is just, that is a shame. Like we should have multiple counselors available in every school in America. We should have in-house counseling in every job in America,
1: honestly. We should teach dialectical behavioral therapy in grade school. Like, I'm not even yeah. kidding. That is like the single most important skill we can teach children is yeah. just how to like use both and or no, but or yes, and kind of thinking like to think about possibilities.
0: Please don't teach children improv.
3: <laughs> don't teach the children improv. Yeah. Well, children are already natural improvisers. That's I know. What makes it's them... just
0: a thing. Of... It's never mind. I know. It's,
3: uh, we don't want to crowd your gig. I get it, Paul. Oh, gosh.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Nobody could hold a candle to you anyway, Paul. You're too
0: far. I Please don't hold a candle to me. I'm extremely flammable.
1: Parenting really is kind of like improvisational, though. I will be completely honest about it. kids are wild cards. They will just say any old shit. One of our favorite stories about my kid. We're doing kids stories now because fuck y'all.
0: Kid talk. No, it's stories. kid talk. Everybody's favorite segment. It's kid talk.
1: So one time, like we use a lot of profanity in my house. We don't bother trying to censor ourselves because frankly, that would be a losing battle anyway. We just teach our daughter to recognize when it's inappropriate to use profanity, for example, at school, in public, never, ever, ever in front of her friends, never in front of her friends, and definitely never in front of her friends' parents. Uh, And so it basically rules, you know, boils down to like, you can use profanity inside the house when we don't have company over, right? But one time, we were like sitting in the kitchen, and it was just me and John and my kid, and she was much smaller. And she just looks up and goes, are we in public? And we go, no. And she goes, this shit's fucking boring. (laughs) And I'm like, what shit's boring? You're sitting there coloring. Like what are you talking about? And you have to kind of ah, just from the be able to assimilate. Made. Yeah, and you have to kind of just be able to assimilate those kinds of absurdities at all times, you know? It's like intrinsic to the process. And kids in particular. Yeah, kids
2: have this honesty about whether or not you're being an yes, idiot. Yes, exactly. They're just, so direct oh. about
1: their feelings. They haven't <laughs> learned to swallow them yet. And it's so funny, additional kids and feelings thing that I actually do think kind of can segue us back on track. Apparently, my kid came up to her teacher, her first grade teacher the other day, and said, You look kind of stressed. And I was just going to say, if you're feeling stressed, sometimes when I feel stressed, there's a game that I play called Happy Color, and it really helps me calm down. Aww. I know, I know, and I'm just like, oh my god, you're so audacious, but also that's like legitimately good advice. Like,
3: no, that is, I would not do that.
0: It's adorable. It's- like, hey, you ever heard of Xanax, kid? Yeah, it's way, it's pretty happy color. Anyway, I gotta go. Like, no, that.
1: Yeah, yeah, but that's the thing. Is like, I, I think there's something so like wonderful in that. It's sort it of honest. Basic. She is
0: trying to help. Yeah, yeah. And sort of, and oh, maybe she doesn't know about happy color. I should tell her.
1: Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I see her in what looks to be pain and I want to do something about it because I care, you know? I I think that there is something really cool about that aspect of parenting, about sort of nurturing those impulses and protecting those emotions. Because, you know, the world's going to kick the shit out of her. It kicks the shit out of all of us eventually. But, like, right now...
0: Start she early. has,
1: Yeah, you know, like right now she has this sort of beautiful glimmer of innocence and authenticity that has not yet been challenged by like intense trauma, you know, and there's something so wonderful and precious about that. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people's experience of the other is learning how to cut off parts of themselves to better fit in.
3: Here, here. And,
1: you know, I, I, I think in some ways, like we are like murdering ourselves or, you know, betraying ourselves for the sake of somebody else's, you know, comfort in the face of having to face their own feelings you know what i mean so i don't know i want better than that for the next generation
0: this has been kid talk everyone's favorite segment yeah no I, I, oh, that's huge though i mean like that honesty yeah. is not is something we stifle on. it's something we stamp yeah down exactly it's something
1: yeah. we have to learn not to do
0: well because it's disorderly and it's unhelpful and it takes extra time so we're not working according to schedule
1: yeah this is not we have a to get thing. all y'all
0: churned out of here by the end of the year
1: The most efficient thing, of course, is to internalize it and then have panic attacks at home.
0: That is your time. That is actually far more efficient for the the organization. Yes, that's that's an appropriate
1: time to have suicidal despair is off the clock.
0: I mean, you can do your suicidal ideation on the clock, but the despair has to be off the clock because there's a lot. It's weepy, you know? Thanks. Appreciate
1: mm-hmm. it. It's be just, sure to clock really out for your breaks. making it hard for your six cubicle mates to focus uh, when you're crying. So if you could just do... Uh, you can keep crying. It's okay. You can cry. No, we have a just, special like, booth
0: for it in the back?
1: Quietly.
0: It's next to the breastfeeding room. You'll love it here. We're a family. Oh.
1: Actually, uh no, sorry. We needed to take that closet back for supplies. So now it's the breastfeeding and crying room.
0: Slash CEO phone booth.
1: It's usually the mom's, you know, lean in
0: oh so uh no the the sort of falseness of feelings is something we could probably talk about reasonably well here right with this talk of the corporate embrace of family like oh man i I, i've been Mm. thinking about this for a long time but how like a company used to come burn your house down and kill everyone you knew but they were called something like oh it's just the two people in your area that were the wealthiest their names together limited or something or steel or whatever and it was actually scary and they had big columns in the front of their building and now it is a logo for something called plucky and what it does is pulls your eyeballs out if you don't pay for them um <laughs> right like we repo your fucking lasik by plucking your eyes out
1: like the genetic opera
0: yeah well well or it's like regular repo man the one with the fun one with the alien car and yeah the, yeah
1: it's anyway so, i mean but like no i think that god i hate how like this and water futures, right like
0: But yeah, like the feelings and draping these things in sort of a very friendly, in that corporate friendliness, Mm -hmm. is it it like the point is, oh, well, now it's, it it is to evoke those feelings. And we now, I mean, at this point, we are all trained to at least think that we are smarter and better than all that, whether we are or not to be seen. We're not. We keep doing all the Well, also, there are no choices. So that being another issue, but ultimately draping all that in feelings and like, oh, we care about, it's like, you don't care about me. I know you don't fucking care about me. I know what your actual stated values are. Like.
1: Yeah. Like you're yeah. seeing
0: what happens here.
1: <laughs> in the uh, Home Depot building in downtown Atlanta, there is a sign hanging over the sort of entrance atrium that evoking past messages like Arbeit Macht Fry just says creating shareholder value. And one Up of the
0: yours. Most-
1: Yeah, one of the most horrific things, and I've, you know, I'm not going to say which people I've heard this from, because, you know, I don't know anybody who's ever worked for Home Depot. But if I did, and they broke their NDAs by telling me things.
0: Look, we don't care where this comes from. We got a Garrick level of discretion.
1: Yeah, one of one of the most horrific things I've heard about Home Depot culture is that you are expected and like de facto required to talk up how good Home Depot culture is on your off time. Like you if you are not like on LinkedIn talking about bleed orange and like how much you love your job all the time, you'll get ousted. They only want true believers. And I think that's kind of exactly what you're talking about there, Paul, like that syrupy saccharine Enthusiasm that so many of us are now forced to affect just to like keep our jobs. Yeah.
0: Well, they put emotional labor in a bunch of jobs that were not emotional labor jobs a few years ago, right? You
1: used to be able to be a machinist and an asshole. Yeah.
0: Now you can't be either. Hey, hey, manufacturing. But no, like, I mean, the stereotypes of the of people like being snippy on the phone, they can't do that anymore. Now they can record every single phone call and a huge set of metrics that are tracking everything and like machine learning, which probably garbage doesn't work, but it'll penalize you if thinks you're being mean to people. That's fun. And like all that is just like, oh, hey, we're going to force you to have these feelings. It's very reminiscent of uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide. He's now Marvin's so mad at the doors hmm the organ is fucking open doesn't have to tell me it's fucking happy the, the, the experience does not have to be a 10 out of 10 um it could just be a. F- I had my password reset it could be five of 10 it's fine it's fine the thing a password
1: worked. reset a five out of 10 for happiness for you paul
0: well i mean it's not <laughs> making me i mean like middling ground of the like here is your oh, okay, like okay. right like when you're on so the back zero end of in a-
1: this like root scale
3: is misery Right. No, like, okay. I I legitimately hate having to change my passwords. Like, and
1: like I yeah. I got, Ew, if you get I locked so out
0: and you have to call and they send you the thing and then there's a follow up email because that's the system they bought. And it asks you if you want to ha- take a quick survey about your experience. And you're like, yeah, I mm-hmm. called them and I told them I wanted to unlock my account. And they were like, who are you? And I was like, I gave them the things they wanted. And they were like, cool. Try and log in again. Try. You get three tries. And I was mm-hmm. like, thank you great. That was what I needed. I needed to call and just do like have someone do it. It did not have to be a fucking orgasm of an experience. But I know that if it's not, uh, you can get fired. Yep. Like it is a solidarity move. Now you have to mark everything 10 of 10.
1: Would you like me to change your password and suck your dick?
0: Yeah, every experience you have with a person has to be marked five of five or 10 of 10 or whatever. Or you are telling someone to fire them, which is fucking weird.
1: Yeah, well and that's I think why like places like Netflix have literally just switched to pass fail, because that's you're either gonna get a five or less. Yes, I like this
0: movie. Let's see if you what you think I like about this movie, Netflix, and guess what? They're wrong.
1: I don't know, Netflix has a pretty good dossier on me at this point. They show me nothing but horror movies, which is exactly how I like it. I'm one of those ADHD types where, like, if I don't have horror movies playing in the background at all times, there's not enough noise to, like, combat my inattention and anxiety. So I have to literally have, like, people screaming and being destroyed by monsters playing in the background so that there's enough noise for my weird fucked up brain to be happy and able to focus on paperwork. I'm broken. Anyway...
3: The good thing is you can admit that here and we have a welcome space for broken people. Like all of us are broken.
1: Yeah, no, I'm the kind of traumatized where I shocked my own therapist, you know, like I told her (laughs) something about my family that was so fucked up that she was genuinely taken aback and she's a fucking therapist. So that's like, you know, that's my trauma, right? That's where my sort of emotional states come from. I wanted to share a cool science fact with y'all about emotions.
0: You know what they say about Klingon disruptors. They do not have a stun setting, Rachel. So I think that fits there. What's Give us a science fact.
1: Mm-hmm. Science fact. If you inject a person with adrenaline and then put them- I'm listening. Yeah. <laughs> and then put them in a room with another person who is in on the trick- they're an actor right this person is acting they're called confederates in like the science you know sure it's not just
0: some other guy yeah yeah
1: yeah so if you put a confederate in the room with this person you've just dosed with adrenaline depending on which emotion they express the other person will mirror it Uh, and that is between excitement and happiness anger and gosh what was the last one excitement angst and maybe like anxiety fear worry something like that what but are like, the three
0: emotions quick round well, robin well but but the, the- your favorite (laughs)
1: The core takeaway is the physical feelings of like anger and fear and elation all kind of physically feel the same because the same sort of fundamental things are happening, right? We only have on and off for our nervous system. So all of these are like nervous system on sympathetic nervous system reactions. Go,
0: go, go, do, do, do. It's good, good, good good, or bad, bad, bad. But you need to do 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 something, something, something.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's not good, 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 bad, bad, bad. It's just we need to get up and run or fuck or whatever versus like oh it's time for a nap right and those are basically like sort of our entire physiological system boils down to this right everybody's heard about like the f's or whatever not going to go through it but the the sort of key takeaway is that we feel the physical sensations first and then we look to our environment to create a narrative about why we're feeling those feelings
0: wait did you just posit that the entirety of consciousness is fan fiction
1: I only say that every <laughs> single episode. I only I always say this. Yes. I just thought no, it was every, a fun way we to are say nothing it. Nothing but to you. the lies we tell ourselves, y'all. I, I do think though, like I think that's it's sort no, of useful huge. to consider here, right? Because so much of our understanding of our own emotions is like strictly narrative. Like there's like five basic emotions that everybody's got. Like it's happiness, it's sadness, it's surprise, it's fear, it's anger. And heart. Surprise and fear are kind of the same. They're not. Same coin. Nope. They're two completely different faces. Surprise is. And fear is. And they're different emotions and everybody distinguishes between the two with the same facial expressions, even congenitally blind people. Weird,
3: right? There are differences between them. There are also, there's a lot of overlap.
1: Yeah. Oh, and that's the sympathetic parasympathetic thing, right? Some are on emotions and some are off emotions.
3: And it's because the, the, the surprise, like the, the physical reaction to something that surprises you is very similar to the physical reaction to a thing that makes you afraid. It's something unexpected. Yes.
1: Yes. But I think a lot of people have a lot of fear about things they do expect. Like, how how many times have you sat up at night dreading a conversation? Because I know I've done it a bunch of times. Well,
3: okay, that's anxiety. Anxiety is different from like a a fear reaction. Like anxiety is a form of fear. It, no, but like I'm I'm thinking of like you know somebody who actually like has like a thing jump out at them and and yeah, like, their that's resp- surprise. Having a that's a fear response.
1: Yeah, that's surprise. The fear right. response happens, which is like...
3: overlapping. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah they overlap but they're not the same right So no, you can also not. be surprised by a surprise party and then you're elated yeah. right the surprise is the the on switch it's yes. the oh a thing happened and i am now attending to it but there are also people who have
3: heart attacks and die with, at surprise parties
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i mean this is like the thing is it's because the physiological process is the same yes, right that's my point yes we that's agree my point.
3: They
0: call him the birthday murderer.
1: But these are, these are the emotions that have universal facial expressions, which I think is yeah. very interesting. Because facial expressions are like, facial expressions and body language are the first language any of us learn. Yeah. And we pick up on a lot about other people's emotions.
0: Listeners will not be able to see me doing a hand gesture about it
1: no uh and i mean that's why we like switched over to y'all can't see this because you know we're kinder to ourselves and to show you our faces and leave ourselves open to these criticisms but we record with video so that we can like actually see each other's faces and it helps a whole lot
0: everyone is very it's very easy on the uh, eyes very good looking group happy to get to see them you don't get to though listener maybe we'll find a way to charge you for that but not right now no no thank you gracious listeners (laughs) indeed but we do this, yeah. So we can so we can gauge each other's faces and like read each other's yeah. reactions mm-hmm. because it has improved. We hope the uh, pacing of some of the discussions on the show
1: yeah and that that actually is something i think star trek fucks up i'm bringing it home y'all because like yeah it's a show about something yeah well and you know the one thing the show kind of like i don't think i've seen it like maybe i guess with spoilers the tardigrade in discovery that's like the only time i've really seen somebody like actively try to read another creature like non-humanoid creatures emotions like by looking at it and empathizing with it can y'all think of another Mm -hmm. one excluding betazoids no not excluding betazoids i 100% I have
0: you spock does a mind meld with a rock
1: <laughs> oh my god you're right he does do the mind meld with a rock but i mean they're using telepathy though
0: they're in that weird mining colony and they can't figure out that the clearly alive thing that's mad about y'all eating its babies is mad about that so he touches the rock and does a mind meld, and he's like oh it's mad that y'all are eating its babies and you're like yeah yeah
2: what about Neelix in Paris uh, taking care of that baby bird yeah. in, the, um,
3: mm-hmm.
2: in the cave?
3: Yeah, that's one. I mean, there's
2: okay, so it's super rare. Well, no,
3: it's like one. Porthos Erasure. Well, yeah, so there's there's a few there's a few of them in TNG where there's a point where they're when they're recognized that they're able to communicate with the crystalline entity and they're trying to actually like that right before the, 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 the woman. It. Yeah, right before the woman murdered it. But like, there's a lot of those kinds of. First interactions where they're learning to communicate with a species that doesn't speak in their language Ten and man. can't can't work with the universal generator. Yeah,
1: but you know what I would love to see? It's kind of like, you know, even Worf smiles. You know what I mean? And I would like to see something where, like, you know, somebody's emoting with like wings or something. Like I want to see some weirder shit. I want to see some less neurotypical representations of nonverbal communication. Do it, Star Trek. Get weird. I believe in you.
0: I will say Saru did a great job with his physicality generally, yes. and I think it was very yes. expressive with hands and such, but it is still humanoid and not quite, I think, what you're hoping for in terms of, well, no, but oh, no, no it's very way, good, let take away exactly, from it. But.
1: Right, because like, they don't really change his facial expressions much. His face is generally pretty stationary, but he has the frills.
3: Yeah, I was going to say, he has the threat ganglia, which does register his fear response.
1: Yeah, so, exactly. That's one. And so in that way, you can read his emotions very clearly, like, through mm-hmm. his ganglia so actually no that's a good point paul that's one that they did good job star trek well, they've been doing.
0: They've been, well, it's a budget thing, I will assume, also, right? Because, like, again, yeah. this is the same yeah. reason that all species are humanoid. Because we have to hire actors from Hollywood to play them. So it's well, going to be hard if you want all of them to be big gas cloud guys or have ten arms or lots of articulated wings. Because we have a very limited budget mm-hmm. now. Though, I mean, we're getting to the point where I think Lower Decks has a uh, has a good yeah. bit of that. I mean, right?
1: This sounds like a job for Lower Decks. Uh, lower,
3: de- lower Decks needs to give us a, a ship that's run entirely by gaseous aliens. <laughs>
0: right like there's there's gotta be federation people like oh you like oh yeah what are you oh um, yeah gas cloud i'm just this pile of i'm that pile of rocks that makes everyone fight but i'm from there but i'm not him yeah. i'm just related to Don't them remember
3: the uh the zindi in enterprise and like the you know they had various versions of of the zindi race but the aquatics and how they had to fly like how 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 are the aquatics able to operate spaceships sorry first
0: <laughs> we're gonna build a giant goldfish bowl on wheels what's a goldfish bowl <laughs> Shut up, you!
1: I don't actually think that it would be any weirder to push water than it would be to push oxygen. Either way, you are heavier. in a bubble of whatever tenuous like material you need to live.
3: Well, it wasn't necessarily about the water as much as it is the fact that they had essentially flippers with like slightly defined edges on them to operate yeah. their panels and, and uh-huh. controls.
1: Don't worry about it.
3: <laughs> no, I'm just like, how did they even build it? To start don't worry with? about
1: it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> they just they did
0: we excreted it out of a special organ the
1: lost city of atlantis this is a stargate crossover now Uh,
0: welcome to gay space colonialism the only everyone's favorite stargate (laughs) podcasts where we go to other places and then bother them because we have a big ring and a cast of guys
1: and white dudes But I do think that would be a great topic for Lower Decks. I would love to see, like, just some really awkward, uncomfortable interactions between people who, like, have the opposite facial expressions or whatever. Like, where, like, they look really pissed, but they're happy or something. And they're, like, trying to, like, work it out and date or something. That would be great. Do that. I want to see that. A very
0: fun Planet of the Week. Yeah, where all emotions are backwards and you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Are you? Ah! It's opposite day, world. But so no there's a lot of there's a lot to play with i mean this is a show about ultimately love right because you are going to go share knowledge and explore with people whether we find that love to be unevenly distributed and perhaps questionably so in some circumstances uh and like having you know it's a tv show it's got its own problems but yeah part of the dream of the future that we are hoping for with this our fun utopian game here is yeah wouldn't it be nice if we were nice to each other and talked about our feelings and then used those to guide our decisions is ultimately a part of this future right it is an emotionally connected sort of giant mechanical like space travel machine i mean yeah and like under i think that is something that we should keep in mind as we move forward i don't know it's a show about learning to be how to be a person and i think that is part of why i like it and i feel like i had a good time talking about it with y'all regardless of what continues to happen which may be more talking about it but i'm expressing my feelings damn it we're doing that anyway powering forward For
3: sharing your feelings
1: paul
0: oh shucks
1: I love you. Oh, you're my friend. I love you too, Paul. I love all of y'all. My feelings are affectionate. What's the game, Paul?
0: Oh, God, is it, it is game time for us. Uh, The game I think, is... I think
1: it is, right? Yeah, no, it it's about right, time. game time.
0: I kind of wanted... So actually, so I want to wrap up with a conversation that we started with. But yeah, the idea of emotional labor is a part of all work now because precarity is built into that work. And ultimately, you like seeing people that are smiling at work. That's fair. It's why nepotism happens and even in the hardest meritocracy because it's people you know and you like. Then you want to hire yep. them too. So but so in the way that that often bears is out is sort of yeah ending up getting yelled at by randos and so i want you to come to me with the emotional labor of star trek what are the i mean and we've seen a lot of this is around in a lot of places but who is making you do the most emotional labor in starfleet which bridge officer you work under or around them and they're like you've got to pretend that it's fun to do whatever it is and you hate it but it doesn't matter because they're gonna make turn around like why aren't you having fun you're like because i just you pay me to be here i'm just i'm doing it aren't i and that's just not an acceptable response so who's who's your emo- your emotional labor demander for me because i started the game it's only fair for me to kick it around i feel like it's got to be garrick mm. if your heart's not in i mean like he doesn't want you to do emotional labor but you do have to like work like it is work to be around garrick Right, I don't think he's necessarily demanding emotional labor of you, but you cannot just throw shit around around here. You cannot just let your reactions be straight default responses, mm-hmm. like you could with say any Vulcan or anyone who's like, if you're doing you're doing the job, it's fine. Why are you being all snippy is definitely a thing you are you hear from Garak more than you'll hear from other characters. Because Quark, yeah, yeah, I'm fucking, I'm doing, I'm washing the dishes. Leave me alone. There uh, is a
1: single answer to this, and his name is Will Riker
3: i was (sighs) gonna say Riker.
1: i think it's Riker. he is a conventional gen x white guy and those motherfuckers require more emotional labor than any creature in existence
0: he is a consent (laughs) fetishist and it is good
1: yeah okay he's a soft fuck boy he is the kind of
3: guy if you don't fall out of your chair laughing at his jokes he's gonna turn around and ask you what's wrong why you didn't like it what's you know yeah he's something wrong Jordy. jordy yeah Nothing yeah. more
1: fragile than a Gen X white dude's pride. Yeah, I definitely, <laughs> think, it's, I definitely think it's Will.
2: I don't think I ever want to be in a position where I have to live up to the kind of standards bridge officers in Star Trek have.
1: <laughs> that is true. Like, if I can't come yeah. into work a little bit stoned, I don't want to be there. I should. Well, well that's why Navy we're, not, not, for you.
2: Yeah, we're
0: uh, not. Yeah, we're not doing that job because we are not the turbo nerds with 19 degrees that know how to also fly a ship and everything about mid 20th century vehicles, yeah. among other hyper specialties. We all have our own hype fixations and we do well with them.
1: I did get two degrees.
0: So did I, dearie, but am I employed?
1: Nope. (laughs) That's not how this world (laughs) works.
0: Bingo. I am lots of fun. Plenty smart. I can make a good drink. Roll you a cigarette anytime you ask. But- Deeply unemployable for reasons that may be related to this, but I can't imagine. I sound very smart. Uh, that's been a fun time playing the game. I concede. Yeah, I'm taking Will. Real Will, Will Riker takes it all the way to the hole. I Garrick yeah. is really was just a, a stall answer because I realized I needed to have one before y'all. Yeah. I threw to y'all and came up with someone <laughs> who would be difficult to hang out with.
1: You know, I feel like actually I was wrong. I'm gonna call myself out on this one. Oh. The bridge officer that requires the most emotional labor. Well, not even bridge officer, just ship officer, right? By far. I mean, I
0: Derek, who's just a guy, but yeah. The
1: BMH. Nah. The doctor. <laughs> that motherfucker is testy. He is, he's a, yeah. He's a little bitch. <laughs>
3: but at least you can turn him off.
1: <laughs> That's true. Not, not after
3: season three, you can't.
1: Discontinue his program when he annoys you, right? But I mean, I think that would be god, even that, right? Because that's the wrong thing to do. So resisting the urge to do that, yeah, is him being testy,
0: it. maybe because of something. Little Miss deactivate yeah. EMH every maybe time he, he th-
1: doesn't like you because you turned him off that
3: one time.
0: <laughs> every time you ask, Listen,
3: I love the doctor, he's one of my favorite characters in Trek. But I mean, you're, yeah.
1: I want to get him on the show so bad, I
3: do too. I want, I want Picardo on the show so bad, that's our goal.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, no, we've made it
3: please that's right
0: please mr picardo
1: we love you we didn't. Uh, don't sound
3: creepy at all cut
0: that last <laughs> I don't part think
1: you're nearly as needy and annoying as the character you played mr picardo
0: <laughs> i do presume you have the same range of artistic interests and depth of knowledge but
1: honestly i don't think anybody can play an asshole that well without like learning how not to be an asshole in the process does that make sense
0: hey let's
1: stop really really
0: leaning into sucking up to some guy who's definitely not listening to this show and talk about (laughs) things where we are seen and can be seen because that's how you end the show
1: yeah well well
0: deal well dear robert picardo please follow me at on twitter i'm at hashtag subtext and you can find this (laughs) show at, at gay space communism please robert picardo follow me on twitter
3: Mr. Picard. I've been
2: a very sleepy Amy Hassel.
0: A hassle on Twitter. Sleepy a feeling.
3: (laughs) Sleepy is definitely a feeling.
0: One of the five primary emotions. Mm. Sleepy.
1: Sleepy is a whole mood. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, we do reflexively yawn when people yawn at us. So that's true.
0: Well, I'll get you for this limbic
1: system.
3: You can find me on Twitter. I'm at CM Archibald. And yeah. And
1: you can find me on Twitter at PunishedRachelK or everywhere else literally as ReachRachelKahn. We are part of the Not Safe Media Network. We are among three awesome podcasts you can check out. There is this Gay Space Communism. There's also Hot Girl Agenda and we have Sentai Truther Club with Kennedy and with Grav who I got to actually sit in on for like five minutes earlier tonight and it was nice because I missed them. So check out those shows. Check out our shows. If you want to give us money, go to Patreon.com slash Not Safe. It's literally just how we keep the lights on here, and it means a lot because it means that somebody actually cares. Wait, you guys have lights? I mean, lights? somebody has feelings about our stuff, and they're good ones.
0: Oh, nice tie in.
3: Thanks for listening, everybody. Love y'all.
0: And the feeling I have, as always, is uh, and I hope it's the feeling you have is space is a rich.
1: Yeah, space the rich. it's not even a feeling, space it's a moral directive.
0: <laughs> My feelings don't care about
3: your class, dignity, no, I, I don't know. Yep. <laughs>